I would like the ship to go. Now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are here to review Star Trek, the original series, season two, episode 25 or 23, depending on where you look, the Omega Glory. Like always, I'm host Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies, starting with our returning guest and pretty much now a permanent cast member, Larry Irby. How you doing, man? Doing great, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, man, this episode is your suggestion, so I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it because, man, it's it's pretty pretty heavy-handed in a lot of ways. And also on the podcast, we have none other than Cal Jones. How you doing, man? Glad to be back. I know I've missed a couple of episodes, but glad to be back. And as always, can't wait to talk to you guys. Yeah, man, glad to have you back as well. And also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I am good, man. I am... Uh, excited to hear Larry's thoughts on this episode. I am not very well versed in the original series. I do have some opinions. This was a good episode. And I think you mentioned in the chat earlier, it was uh, not didn't age well. And I'm interested to see what your opinions that led you to that. So I'm ready to get into it. And also, thanks to everyone that's in the chat. When Grace says greetings, one and all glad to have you here, Win Grace. Really appreciate it. And anybody else that may be listening, if it's your first time here, thank you for being here. Of course, what we do here on this podcast is review a lot of Star Trek, a lot of Star Trek. (laughs) So thank you for being here. Star Trek, the original series, the Omega Glory. You know, I kept getting this confused with the Omega Directive several times (laughs) when I was writing it down. I know. Glory, glory. Remember, glory. But yeah, Omega Glory. uh, That's what we're going to be reviewing today. And the story was written by Gene Roddenberry himself and directed by Vincent McIvetti, who also directed Balance of Terror, Dagger of the Mind, Mary. This is similar to Mary in some ways to me. Patterns of Force and Spectre of the Gun. The Enterprise discovers the derelict starship Exeter drifting in space, its entire crew killed by an unknown plague and her captain missing. All right. For everyone listening, if you have not seen the Amaga Glory, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. The spoiler warning has been dropped and we are back to review the episode. Cal, do you have any beats for us today? Indeed, I do. Are you ready for it? Well, let's have it. All right, here we go. So my beat says the glorious road to Amaga was perhaps paved with good intentions. However, unlike a good bottle of Chateau Picard, some things do not age well. <laughs> also, uh a.k.a. also known as I was so freaking bored in most of this. You FYI. were bored? Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. <sighs> but we'll get into it. That's funny because I was never bored. I was I watched this with my girlfriend. There was a lot of times we were like, did they really just say that? Are they really making that comparison? <laughs> so and I want to get into it. But but yeah, I was never bored. I was shocked. I, I, was think shocked I, I think I checked out on some of it. Maybe bored is not the right word. Maybe checked out was a little more. Mm. And this episode originally aired on March the 1st, 1968. Let's go around the horn. Jonathan, what are your thoughts on this episode? High level. You know, 
I can't say that I was bored either. It uh, it kept me involved, albeit the story was not very uh, extended. It was a very compact story, but it said a lot in the story. And there's a debate on how it was said and all of that. But I mean, for the most part, I enjoyed it. Now, I did, you know, after watching it, I went online and looked at some reviews and (laughs) people did not like this episode. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, and they make some good points, but I kind of it's kind of like in the eye of the beholder, whether it was good or not. It's just kind of what you consider good and what's not. But I'm sure we'll get into some of those points. But overall, I think it was a, a good a good episode. So, Kyle, did you have any additional thoughts about yeah, that? So, you, you know, being bored? maybe the word bored, maybe I use the wrong word because sometimes I do like to say I was so bored, but maybe I wasn't bored. Maybe I, what turned me off to it more so was it just felt like everything was a c- character of a character. It didn't feel real to me. Does that make sense that it, it didn't it they, they seemed too stereotypical? Like they were trying to say something, but you weren't saying it. I, I don't know. It just stereotypical as in tropey or I, I don't know if it was tropey or what, but it just I don't know. It just kind of, <laughs> kind of checked out on it. So so you guys help help me it change my mind. So I'm going to let Larry go last because this was Larry's suggestion to review this episode. I enjoyed it. It had great aspects to it, but I feel like a lot of the things, a lot of the points they were making didn't age well. It felt propaganda, propaganda-ish, kind of, if that's a word. So, yeah, there were great points. It did seem to retread some things we've seen already just two, almost in the two seasons in the TOS. Seems they've already started to retread some things that we've seen before. Um, not completely, just bits and pieces. You know, like I said before, I feel part of Miri in here a little bit. But yeah, I, I think overall it was a pretty interesting episode. But again, we'll get into it some parts just didn't age well. So, Larry, what do you think about this episode? All right. So, number one, this episode came out two months and five days before my birth. Oh, wow. (laughs) Just just throwing that out there. So, this is a 55-year-old episode. Okay. So, when Kyle did the spoiler warning, I was like, well, it's 55 years, but ain't nobody seen it now. They ain't gonna never see it. (laughs) But the reason I picked this episode, because it is so relevant today. Um, One of the things was the theme of um, how different societies can look at each other Mm -hmm. and you can take each other and see each other as enemies. And uh, the one thing that was really redeeming, because some of the stuff in it did, you know, the depiction of the Asian characters and stuff was very stereotypical, but it was, like you said, 1968. The thing that I loved was like when Kirk got there and he recited the words and he looked at the chieftain and he said, these words must apply to everyone. And he's like, even the cons. And Kirk says, even the cons, they must apply to everybody or they mean nothing. Mm -hmm. That hit me as a kid. Mm -hmm. That hit me right in the feet. I was like, oh, I just been watching it to see phasers and <laughs> photon torpedoes fired. This might be one of the first episodes that it ever dawned on me. And it's not because I love this episode the most, but when you look at the, the relevant today, 
relevant today with people, you know, groups trying to take mm. other people's rights, saying that if it doesn't apply to everybody, then the words of your freedom mean nothing. Mm. That's why it resonates with me. All right. Well, let's let's start to peel back some of that real quick. I'm going to pick up a comment from Wind Grace saying that according to most of TNG crew, Chateau Picard doesn't age well either. Yeah, they, they pretty much bashed it all season, which was pretty funny. But getting into this episode, the crew is gone. The Enterprise finds this ship. They go to investigate. Now, the first half of this episode, it was really, really interesting, even though to me it retread some things maybe we've seen before. But I like the fact that they go to the ship and all they see is salt. <laughs> and then I like the science of how, you know, we have this percentage of this in our body. And I liked how they kind of got us into this episode by going to the ship. You know, we go investigate. And then again, we get into this trope, now trope, I feel, of you get on the planet and you can't leave because now you have the virus. But to me, one of the big things about this episode is the adherence to the prime directive. And we talk about it all the time. The prime directive always gets broken. But and again, you can go to the end of the episode on this. Let's just cover the full scope of the episode. The prime directive starts off as a main key point in what our, our principal characters are doing once they're on the planet, once they're on Omega. But to me, by the end, all of that is thrown asunder so we can get those three words you just said from Kirk. So thoughts on the prime directive and how it's actually adhered to and then forgotten in this episode. So as you're speaking, like I kind of it kind of occurred to me and has probably already occurred to you guys from watching it. But I mean, we you're just saying how often throughout Trick, our captains or leaders either bend or break their prime directives. Like sometimes it's a guideline. They try to live by it, but sometimes it doesn't quite work out in different situations usually calls for a different approach, a different way to handle the prime directive. And it's kind of reminiscent on what Larry touched on is, you know, we're talking about the constitution. Like, is it a golden clad rule or is it something that guides us? Not. And, but I mean, constitution is always bent and manipulated and reworded mm. and misinterpreted. It's still that golden guideline that we all try to live towards the country. Wow. Shapes. I mean, the Constitution shapes our existence in this country, and so does the Prime Directive. Doesn't mean it never. It, people follow it one hundred percent of the time, dude. No, you. No, you no, just, no. You, you, you hit, I'm like Chicago, but you hit me by making that analogy to the Constitution and how it's bent. You know, I, I watched this episode, never thought of that once, but we see them trying to adhere to it in this episode, even though they don't know anything about what it means. But yeah, if you relate that to the main point, the main focus of this episode at the beginning being the prime directive, that makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to say that what Jonathan said actually is quite deep in the sense of it it adds a layer that I didn't see. And maybe I went into it with the wrong mindset. I think I saw some of the costumes and I think <laughs> that helped me kind of check out. But if I'm sitting here and I'm being brutally honest with myself, we go back into Doctor Who and we see some of the same tropes that they used. Clarence, you will remember Team of the Cybermen, where you had the one African-American or African descent character that was the strong man. You know, that was how they presented him. Or you go up a little further, Talons of Wang Chiang, similar to this. 
of someone of Asian descent with a caricature type presentation. It did bother me. It did bother me a lot, especially when you get into, I know, I know Larry's going to talk about the political part of this, but it really bothered me of how our captain, Captain Tracy, Captain Ronald Tracy, he's he says the the Yangs look like me. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm looking at the bridge crew of the Enterprise. <laughs> you have a various array of races on the bridge crew. So when he was, and again, I know this was made in the 60s and they were trying to make a point, but when he said it looked like me, it just, I, I was just utterly confused. Any, any thoughts, anyone on that? Well, you have to keep in mind, this was like, this was first aired in, I think it says 68. And if you, like, I kind of did a Google search on, you know, U.S. in 1968. National Archives News has it listed as a turning point in U.S. history for a year of triumphs. Tragedy, social and political upheavals that forever changed our country. Part of that was the uh, the loss of Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy. So there was a lot from what I can tell. Obviously, I wasn't alive at the time, but there was a lot of probably biases and bigotry in the country. And there was a big push for change. And I don't think everybody was on board for that. And I think trick being what it is, I mean, tricks always put that kind of controversial topic forefront and like this is how it should be this is in a perfect world how it should be and i think by him stating it that way granted it didn't age well right for us mm-hmm. but just put yourself back then it's like you have a male caucasian saying that an asian person looked like him and it's not nothing to do with the story it's just the fact that i think just for me my opinion is hey you as a viewer, look at this, and why can't this person no, be you? No, I think you read that totally wrong. Mm-hmm. No, I think you did. Really? Yeah, he was saying the Yangs. So all the Yangs, the people who are now, oh, and this, again, this is probably going to make you feel worse about the episode. The Savages were right. the Yangs. They were all the white people. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all the, I guess, Asian people were the people who took oh, over. Oh, so he said the Yangs. Gotcha. Yeah, because the Yangs were all, all Caucasian people. Right. So he makes a statement, they look like me, and they look like you. They look like us. He said us. He did say that. Yeah, so it, it was. It, it just felt very uncomfortable to me. Very uncomfortable. No, but I think it was meant to feel uncomfortable. And another layer that they added on there with the disease of wiping out the, the people kind of in reverse was the sense of how, you know, take Native Americans, many were wiped out mm. because you had the, in the reverse, the white people came with their diseases and whatnot. And then that was imparted to a population that had no resistance to that. Mm. Yeah, they even mentioned in the 1990s about the bacteriological warfare and man, just the 90s for a trek were like the worst time ever. <laughs> I'm already going to tell you, um, they already contradicted themselves twice in this episode. One was they said when Spock says to uh, Kirk, he says, you know, Captain, it appears that these people on this planet fought the war that your ancestors avoided. Mm-hmm. Is that saying that World War Three never happened? Because yeah. it's been established multiple times throughout every Star Trek, I think, at least once, that World War Three was what set off 
eventually leading up to Zephram Cochran, you know, yeah. doing the first warp flight and that it was the eugenics war and what we're going to see soon. They even expanded on it in Strange New Worlds more. Last year, they really hit home. It was the second civil war. Then it was the eugenics war. Then just World War Three. And I, I guess I have to go back to you, Larry, because I have a big problem. And to me, when I get into tropey things about Star Trek, and again, we're only two seasons in with TOS, this tropey thing of parallel development on other worlds. And we, unless I missed it, we get no explanation of how they got the U.S. Constitution Mm-mm. or why this planet was developing parallel to, you know, our world at the same time. Uh, it, it, it just felt kind of disjointed to me. So, That's because you don't watch Stargate. Because <laughs> you would understand that, Clarence, there is a universal language called English. So no matter where we travel <laughs> in the galaxy and what Stargate we get out of, everybody speaks English where we go. It's lame, but I mean, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Well, well, let me say this real, real quick. A, I totally a million percent agree with you. And B, I think Tasha said it best. There was no canon. Yeah, this was what canon was built from. So there's a loose uh, explanation, come, albeit after the fact. Uh, <laughs> and this is kind of um, my re- research. So, Larry, you probably can speak more to it. But there was a novel written called Forgotten History. Uh, written by Christopher L. Bennett. And this is very convenient explanation, but it establishes that a copy of the Constitution, American flag and the Pledge of Allegiance were left by an Earth cargo services vessel called the Philadelphia mm. in the early days of space travel to inspire the Yangs in their fight for freedom, which makes a lot more sense than anything in the episode. So that's what this article was saying. But they say there's no record of it because the crew of the Philadelphia all died from the virus after leaving the planet. Ah, okay, uh, I can buy that. Well, that's the second time we've done because then that sounds just like a piece of the action. Yeah, where the, the starship or the starship Horizon, I think, or whatever it was, left the mobster book there, <laughs> and they thought that's how society's <laughs> supposed to be. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to circle back to the prime directive a bit in Captain Tracy. So it seems like he may have been on board with following the prime, prime directive until he found out there was the secret to or immortality <laughs> on this planet. It, it, it sort of reminded me of the, uh, what is the movie, Insurrection, where uh, the Federation were working with the Baku, if I'm saying the name of that alien race, right? Mm-hmm. But they were working with them similarly because this planet had these regenerative abilities. Uh, it, it, you know, <laughs> I think this may have been on Tasha's stream where they were talking about this. Like, how often do we screen our captains or screen our crew members <laughs> uh, mentally and physically? Because it, that's a heck of a bribe that that Tracy has taken there in order to to break everything he supposedly stands for to to get, you know, this you know, immortality or whatever. I think Tracy, uh, this is me reaching for it because I'm trying to not make him a generic bad guy, uh-huh. which is sort of how they laid it out. Like they gave him a little nuance at first and then he just kind of like, yeah, I'm the bad guy. 
But I would say that maybe, you know, his whole crew being dead, you know, was like Matt Decker. It was a traumatic experience and it just so shocked him. He just stopped caring, stopped caring about the prime directive, stopped caring about his oath to Starfleet. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, his whole crew dies. I mean, mm. I feel like and it's just a little tricky in me, like I feel like our captains are held to a higher standard. Regardless of what situation, now, granted, you're stuck somewhere so long, like you got to say, he lost his crew. He's stuck on this planet. There's no way out. He's having to survive. I get that, you know, he's going to bend or break the prime directive to survive. But to go as far as I'm going to develop the <laughs> fountain of youth and I'm going to sell it back. I think it was like intended on selling it back to the Federation or trading it for yeah. at a certain point. Like I would expect that him. I have no problem with him breaking prime directive while he's there to survive. I get it. But once he gets a ship there, Kirk comes to save him. I would think he would kind of come back to it. Right. Like, wouldn't that what we expect from our captains? Mm. So what I'm hearing from you is as fans of Star Trek, we hold our captains to a higher standard. So anybody who has given the captain title or an admiral or whatever should uphold these things, should not be breaking norms to their own benefit. You kind of see where I'm going with this? Maybe if they forget. I mean, it's okay. They forget. Like nobody can be held to it. But I've, I've felt like the reminder of seeing Kirk standing there in a uniform, it like brings him back. Maybe not totally in line, but it's like once Kirk got there, he like went full force in the opposite direction. So I thought this, since there were so many cultural layers, political layers, I thought this was Roddenberry's attempt to show uh, a the captain in this point served as a, any politician mm. without hinges. Mm. What if, you know, you took all those norms away from a politician and they sought to be there for themselves, not for the Federation, not for being the captain. They were there for number one. And what would that be like? Hopefully we'd never see that <laughs> or have an, in recent history or whatever. And, and, uh, excellent point, Kyle, because, and I hate to say this, but I found myself liking Tracy because he stuck to his guns. He didn't deviate. He was what he was. He wasn't changing. He's going <laughs> to... Fight Kirk three, you know, the trope. He kept fighting Kirk, <laughs> I think, three times in this episode. Fight to the death, as, as Tasha pointed out in her stream. <laughs> but but he stuck to his guns. He didn't deviate. He tried to get Spock dissected. He He's like, uh, cut him open. He, does he have a heart? You know? <laughs> he, he didn't care. He's like, this is what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm not changing, even when the obvious way out or the obvious answer is right in front of him. So I can I can appreciate about that. And and that's something that happens in a lot of these TOS episodes of when you have somebody that's kind of weird or bad, they kind of stick that way for throughout the entirety of it. And so when my mind made that connection, that is when I checked out because I (laughs) couldn't see. I saw something. I saw someone else other than Tracy whenever I saw him and it repulsed me. So I couldn't. That's how I checked out. So that's ultimately where my brain disconnected was with him and making that analogy. And I guess we got to kind of remember, and I mean, now thinking about it, like I'm holding Tracy up with, you know, Picard or Janeway or, but we have, I, I have to remember, not we, I have to remember this is like just starting out. Like we're just 
getting to our full potential as Starfleet, there is more likely a chance that a captain that was not fully committed to the prime directive could actually have a command. So that's quite possible. It also reminded me of the uh, Stranger Worlds episode we had where where Captain Pike had a chance to maybe uh, change his future on that plan, that, that advanced medical plan. And I forget the name of the episode, but uh, it, it made me think of the question, like, is medical advancement more important than a prime directive? Oh, I, oh. maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask Beverly Crusher that. <laughs> we got two captains. <laughs> Remember the Equinox? On Voyager. Oh yeah, I just watched okay. the episode. Same difference. Yeah, that true captain story. was broken. He did all these bad things, and then um, I'm trying to remember there was actually if we go all the way back, which um, is before this, you go back to uh, Enterprise. You had some people who were just kind of you know human greed. Even in the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th century, ain't gone anywhere. Apparently, mm-hmm. and I like the fact that our later Star Trek shows have called that out and say, "Hey, man, when you're just out for yourself, it's never a good thing." Yeah. So, real quick, uh, I want to point out some times that I cringed in the episode, and I'm gonna just uh, say a few lines here. The Yellow Civilization, I cringed. <laughs> yeah. The Savages mentioned several times. They evolved like the savages of the native. And then he mentioned Native American. Rather, than, no, no, you can't do that. I cringed again. Yangs, Yanks, Yankees, Combs, Combs, Combs. <laughs> yeah. I cringed. Uh, oh, but again, I feel like I like them. So I don't know, man. I'm torn here. Well, I mean, it, it's it, it's reality, right? Like, it, yeah. Oh, I mean, boy. they had to. They had to. Right. The script writers had to write in their current reality and time. So, I mean, should we be playing it over and over again on a big screen, big screen in New York right now? Probably not. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't fault them for writing something in 1968 like that. And I I give them kudos for not mm. taking it further in the that direction. I agree with you on that, Jonathan, because uh, I will tell you the things that got me. Captain Tracy even said something that was just straight up racist, <laughs> which should not have existed in him since he was a part of the Federation. We know how long the Vulcans by Enterprise, obviously, yeah. we know how long humans have known Vulcans so long before they were born. And he says, uh, I have my note right here. He referred to Spock as the pointy eared one. <laughs> then they looked up in the Bible. He was a devil. Yes. <laughs> I said, man. Oh, God. Oh, man. You straight up. I, Captain Tracy, I'm just going to be honest. Captain Tracy had a, a a family member who was an admiral who worked in Starfleet. That, that's the only way he probably got in. Uh, let's pick up a few comments real quick. Wind Grace says, I love the Equinox concept. Would have loved to see that as a miniseries itself. Yeah, I love that that episode. And Tasha mentions, whoa, whoa, Yellow Civilizations? Oh, yeah, and I love Tasha's next one. And then the next comment from Tasha is, McCoy was racist against Spock. Yeah, people have talked yeah. about that and brought that up multiple times at some of the stuff. You know, why you green blooded? <laughs> look, 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 it's playing on my TV right now. The two of them standing beside each other. 
Yeah, and, and another thing I had a problem with, like, okay, well, I agree again. Granted, this was made in 1968, but I think we've seen enough dystopian societies where if something happens, they don't just automatically revert back to what it was before. Okay, they may have to live a little differently, but they seem to be able to adapt the technology. I mean, even to something like Walking Dead, all the technology doesn't doesn't instantly go. I mean, you still have batteries, you still have, you know, if this was the 90s when all this stuff happened or the equivalent to our 90s, seemed like the people that fled to the mountains still would have, you know, had some way to have some semblance of technology. But to me, that just felt strange. It just felt really strange to me. So again, we had the fight to death, another trope. (laughs) But Kyle, I want to ask you this. What, What was going on with Spock in this this control of this woman that he gave the nerve pinch um, earlier in the episode, does I didn't I don't remember Spock being able to control people. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, that 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 didn't make sense to me either. Unless you just was trying to do the, you know, the sultry look here and the <laughs> sultry look there. That's what it kind of looked like to me. Was like very cheesy. Oh, that kind of you know, like oh look at me. Oh, she's looking at me. That kind of thing. <laughs> Thoughts. Well, I mean, Larry is more of our TOS expert, but I mean, I've done some loose research and it I don't recall the exact episode. So it has been mentioned that he had some sort of ability to implant thoughts in people and and like maybe control some actions. Uh, now, there was something else I was reading and it didn't reference an episode, but it did say there was an episode in TOS where it was suggested that he had a stronger influence over a woman's mind. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out yeah. there. I don't know if that's true or not. You sure it's not this episode? I have never heard that. <laughs> so uh, this particular one says he's only been able to influence general actions like in A Taste of Armageddon or read things in people's minds like on Dagger of the Mind and by any other name. Mm. Yeah, that that quite frankly had me puzzled. Larry, did you have any any thoughts on that? No, uh, not particularly. To be honest, I didn't even remember that till you just brought it up. Really. <laughs> well, I guess now just put yourself in her position, right? You these are all the people you've seen, and now you see this pointed ear devil standing <laughs> in front of you with these eyes wide open, not blinking, staring into your soul, like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you may have hit on something, because if they thought that this is what the devil looked like, she's maybe sitting there having the googly eyes as, oh, my God, is the devil. So Tasha is hitting us with some some facts here. She got the receipts here saying that Tuvok was able to implant false memories and exert influence on people a couple of times. Obviously, it came way later. Yeah, I need to I need to go back and brush up on my beloved uh, Voyager because I don't remember. Any of that. <laughs> Did he do it from across the room? I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember that time he implanted all the memories in people when he was taken over by that programming by the uh, Cardat. Was he Cardassian guy? He was a Bajoran guy. I think. Yeah, the Bajoran guy. Oh, I got one for you guys. Was this or was this not watching TOS the first time I ever remember Captain Kirk getting beat up in a hand to hand fight? Tracy schooled him, man. When they fought that first he time, he, <laughs> he beat his tail, beat man. Down. I, was like, I was expecting him to say, like, Jim? after the fight, I was expecting him to say, like, and I've also been strengthened by this planet. Because I'm thinking the same <laughs> thing as you. Like, nobody beats Kirk like this. 
Like, what happened? Like, he has some serious martial arts chopping going on. Dude, those <laughs> fights were great, man. Yeah, they it, were. It, it, it was two points in the episode where, well, it was, the, I think, the second fight where Kirk is running. And he just does these leap barrel rolls. <laughs> those are the greatest, man. Those are the greatest. Even my girlfriend was like, why did he stop and leave? He could have just kept running. <laughs> got to do the rolls, man. You know what? Now that you mentioned it, I did have that thought. Because when he stopped, when he jumped, I thought, <laughs> okay, he's going to jump behind this wall and crouch down and hide. Uh-huh. And the guy was going to run right by him or something. But no, he jumped over the wall, <laughs> rolled, and then kept running. <laughs> That's the greatest, man. I love it so much. Oh, boy. Um, and, and I guess lastly, unless you guys have any further thoughts, this episode has a propaganda piece. I felt like it was a huge, you think of the time frame, the 60s, mm-hmm. it felt like a, a huge propaganda piece. America, you know, I mean, just it, it yeah. wasn't even subtle about it. It just mm-hmm. felt like they were, um, and, and, you know, I don't even, I can't even imagine being in a person from another country and looking at this and, you know, appreciating it at all. You know, it's going to be one of those episodes you probably skip. But it felt like one of those America-focused episodes. Uh, So here's something that they did that I had to actually rewind. I know at least a couple of times to to pick it up. But Clarence, you know I pay attention to music. You know, uh, you've heard me mention that in Doctor Who. There are scenes when, or there's times when they first show the American flag. And I think when he's talking, and then when they show the flag again at the end, that it's the Star Trek traditional music but it's either um, some notes from america the beautiful or the star spangled banner that they cleverly weave in there mm-hmm. in the music did y'all pick that up yeah i yes. did i yes. did and that was that was created just for this episode mm-hmm. i think this episode also represented the best and the worst of the federation just like here in america we have Good. Some people represent <laughs> the best aspects of America. Some people represent the absolute worst. And you, in this, you got to see Kirk as this, you know, person who's still flawed and stuff, but he's got this I, ideal. And Tracy's just willing, you know, even though we know he's been through this tragedy, he's just willing to just fling everything off for himself. So that's what, as I said, the big thing with me with this episode was just the fact that it said, you know, he he's telling these people, look, you guys being separated is not good. Yeah. I mean, the way they went about it, yeah, it was it was crappy. And, <laughs> but the message that he was trying to get was like, you guys, if if you don't freedom doesn't apply to all of you, no matter skin color or anything. It doesn't mean anything. And like I said, that was my one thing. You know, it's like I said, this is not even close to being my favorite TOS episode, not in the top 20. Mm-hmm. But that one aspect, especially in light of today, stuck out to me. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with, with that you just said and what Cal said earlier about, you know, how this can be mapped on to politicians if you choose to do so. I just feel like it, 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 it's definitely, you know, it makes sense to what we're going through now in, in today's society. So, yeah, you, you guys dug deep on that for me because I didn't get some of that, those points when I watched it. And, and let me add this. I know this was right at the end of the second season and the, that 
it, if I remember correctly, it was after this episode aired that they announced that there would be a third season to the fan. So I don't think it was commonly known that there would be a third season. But remember, this is network TV. This isn't like AMC that we have today, HBO or whatever, that you have a little bit more leeway. This is mainstream NBC broadcast television. And considering the moment, even though it didn't age well, you have to respect, I have to respect the fact that they even put this out in 1968. Yeah, for sure. And to touch on a point, just a little extra trivia for you guys. So I'm sure some of you know this. So Cal, you mentioned that they announced right after this about the season three. Mm-hmm. Well, that announcement was in the end credits when this first ran, first mm-hmm. aired and they had to make a statement in those end credits. I think we talked about it a while back, but in that statement, they announced season three and said, please stop sending letters. What? <laughs> it was in the final credit. We're going to do it. You just, just calm down. Uh, and a couple other small things. Uh, this was the first and only time that power packs for phasers were ever mentioned in the mm. original series. So, and they mentioned yes. it a couple of times mm. here. And just a fun little red shirt fact here. Lieutenant Leslie died in this episode, but he also died in the episode previous to this one. Wibbly wobbly timey <laughs> the same The same character? The same character. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> uh, terrible. Obsession was the episode before this. So they killed the same red shirt twice. Wow. Oh, what did wow. Tasha say? There was no canon at that time. <laughs> I love it. But, I, you know, I was another context that's very sad, though. But just think, Martin Luther King hadn't even been dead. Um, I don't even think Martin Luther King had died yet when this episode aired. It would be like a month later, mm-hmm. a month and a few days later, that he would be assassinated. So, again, I'm with Kyle on that. The fact that they tried, they may have tried. It's kind of like the the TNG episode. You all know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> no. With no. a planet full of black people. <laughs> you did. God, that was terrible. <laughs> that was even more cringe than this episode was. Mm, I got to say. They're they both up there. <laughs> you know, I, think, I, I think that was a little bit more cringe because by that time, we should have known better. Yeah. And coming from Tasha here, absolutely, this was controversial for the times. Yep. And with that controversy, I'm going to go ahead and give my rating. We have a um, a uh, additional rating from, from Ashley, where she rated this a 2.0. I rated this originally a 2, but I'm going to go up a little bit because you guys talked me up. I actually... Hearing some of those points flushed out a little bit more, it made me appreciate some of the aspects of this very problematic episode a bit more. So I'm going to give it a three. Uh, Cal Jones, how do you rate this episode, sir? Mm. So, so let me add this little bit of trivia, and, and I hope this isn't your Trek trivia. So this was actually in Roddenberry's mind for a while. Uh, I found this very interesting that this was in his mind for a while as the second pilot called the Omega story. And Mm. I'm wondering, had this been the second pilot, (laughs) if we would still be sitting here today talking about Star Trek? But but that being said, I'm going to give it, it still didn't just quite work for me. I'm going to go up from a 2 to a 2.95. Jonathan, what do you think, man? This is a difficult one, man. I, I... 
for what the story was trying to convey or what I feel that they were trying to convey, I think was good. The way they did it, I think was put together badly. And it's even for that period of TV. Like they still could have put that story together a better way. They could have gave it a little more. And, but all that being said, I'll still come in at a solid three. All right. Three from John. Larry, uh, finish, finish it off for us, man. Well, how do you, how do you rate this episode? Uh, I'm just, everybody's already said, so I'm just going to say what they said is for what they were trying to accomplish. And like I said, you know, this is one of those episodes, that sheer thing that stuck in my head. Cause when I picked this episode, I mean, we could have went with any of the ones we love, but I mean, that's, that's easy. I mean, we all love a mock time and mirror, mirror, you know, to me, this was a three, you know, they tried, there were certain aspects, like we said, that just did not age well, but I give them, you know, an A for effort. Yeah. And and when Chris says in the chat, if this was the second pilot, it would be, we would be in a world of 17 Lost in Space sequels <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Yeah. Although I did like the, the uh, recent one on Netflix. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. So, yeah, we're going to end there. Uh, guys, in the chat, how do you rate this episode? If you're listening, how do you rate this episode? If you have any thoughts about our review or an additional point that we missed, you can send that feedback into fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. You can also join us live like our friends have done today by just going to our YouTube channel, hitting that subscribe button and get notifications when we go live, which usually is on Mondays at 8 especially when a current season is running, we'll definitely be there every week. But you can also use those outlets that I just mentioned to respond to Trek trivia. John, do you have a Trek trivia for this week, sir? Uh, yes, I have a simple one. I don't, I don't know simple anyway, but yes. Uh, so it was loosely mentioned in this episode. And as far as I can research, it's the only thing close to an answer we'll have to this Trek trivia. Uh, so I'm going to ask the question and you got to see if you got to answer. What is the standard complement of shuttles for a Constitution class ship in TOS? Wow, you hit me with the deep ones. I can make a guess. The complement of the ship? Complement of shuttles. How many shuttles are standard for a Constitution class ship in TOS? And we can make an educated guess based off of a statement in this episode. Mm. You want us to say? You can get yeah, take you a got guess. It. You got it. Let's hear it, man. I, I always thought they had six shuttles. I'm going to say seven. Because of the Galileo 7? <laughs> no, I just, for some reason, seven just popped into my head. It was, uh, trust your gut. Clarence, what's your answer? Oh, man, I was going to say four, but <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be way off. Well, you are right, sir. What? <laughs> so if you uh, if you go back and watch this episode, uh, I forgot which ensign or lieutenant that was on the lower decks and he was checking. Kirk asked him, did he find anybody or was any of the shuttles gone? He said, no, sir. All four shuttles are still here. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, do we know if that rule persists throughout the future treks? I have not found it mentioned anywhere else in Trek. That's the closest to coming up with an actual number that I've 
found. So, so that just says something about the Federation, right? Or the or Starfleet, not necessarily the Federation. Only the important people survive because there is no way you're putting <laughs> 400 or whatnot people in those four shuttles. Look at escape, escape pods, pods, man. Escape pods. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. I'm just saying. <laughs> we've seen the in, we've seen the insides of those things. They're not big. Hey, well, heck, I don't think uh, TNG's Enterprise had that had too many more shuttles. I mean, maybe six or seven. Yeah. I don't know that. Well, for the sure. captain has a yacht, so hey. Well, yeah, we never that. saw, but yeah, <laughs> on the right in the series anyway. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Thank you guys for joining, and if nothing else, we're going to end in this episode. So yeah, thanks, thanks everybody in the chat. So until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.